0: Welcome to The Coin Club, a podcast brought to you by the Seven House Coins Currency Bullion, where we discuss everything related to numismatics. I'm glad to have you along with me for my journey and excited to share with you the very best of and welcome to episode four of the coin club podcast i'm happy to have you here with me once again to share in some wonderful news stories and the like while you were away my little one man band hit a milestone on buzzsprout we've reached the 50 podcast download mark not too bad for a measly three episodes and just starting out Thank you all for sharing this with your friends and all of your comments and suggestions. I am very pleasantly surprised that at this early stage of my podcast that we have fans from all over the world and I would like to give a shout out to those countries. Most of our listeners come from the United States. However, our listeners also hail from these countries as well. Canada, France, England, and Japan. Japan. I always have news and content from my great country, the United States. However, in a big thank you to those new international listeners, I want to showcase a little of your numismatic history in the upcoming episodes as well. Thank you, everyone, and let's get on with the show. In this episode of the Coin Club podcast, I would like to share with you some news in the world of numismatics. We'll start early in the broadcast with a short What's Tony drinking section, a review of the Whitman Publishing's Guidebook to United States Coins and why you should own one, a quick section on where do you buy and sell coins, a deep dive into Canada and its numismatic history, a quick what were you thinking, and then we'll wrap it up. In the news, the United States Mint is promoting two of its upcoming coin releases. The first one I'll talk about is the 2021 National Law Enforcement Memorial and Museum Commemorative Coin Program. They will be offering a silver dollar struck in 99.9% silver and will bear the P mint mark for Philadelphia mint. A $5 gold coin struck in 90% gold and 6% silver with the balance in copper will bear the W mint mark for the West Point mint. They will be offering a clad half dollar and a three coin proof set which includes a gold coin, silver proof coin, and a half dollar proof coin. Only 7,500 of these sets will be minted. With each purchase, the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund will receive the following amounts of money, $35 for each gold coin, $10 for each silver coin, $5 for each half dollar, and $50 for each three-piece proof set. Once again, if you've never been in the museum in Washington, D.C., it is a must-go for all of you who have friends or family in law enforcement or who have a fascination with how all of that works and its history. The other offering from the United States Mint is the Krista McAuliffe commemorative coins. They have a twenty twenty one silver proof dollar. This shows as being on back order on their website currently. The mintage limit for this one was set at three hundred and fifty thousand pieces. The other offerings on this commem is the uncirculated silver dollar. For those of you old enough to remember or who have heard the stories, Krista McAuliffe was an American teacher from Concord, New Hampshire. She was chosen out of 11,000 other applicants to participate in NASA's Teacher in Space project. Krista was planning to conduct experiments and teach two lessons while she was in space. On January 28, 1986, she boarded the Space Shuttle Challenger, and 73 seconds after liftoff, she was one of seven people killed when the Space Shuttle Challenger broke apart. I remember it pretty vividly. I would have been six, and I remember sitting in the living room with my mom and little brother watching the Challenger climb higher and higher in the sky, ultimately ending in disaster. Only being six, I could still understand how much of a loss this really was to our nation. So sad. Ten dollars of every one of these coins sold will be donated to the FIRST program. FIRST stands for For Inspiration and Recognition of Science and Technology. The robotics program engages and inspires young people through mentor-based programs to become leaders in the fields of science technology engineering and mathematics the united states mint recently sent an email out reminding us that graduation is coming right around the corner mint products bullions and coins in general make a very nice gift to graduates and can spark interest in the hobby as well Check it out and get your order in soon before you miss out on the opportunity to give the gift of numismatics for your favorite graduate. The Perth Mint has introduced its fifth release in the Swan series. The Swan has been the Mint's logo for centuries. The swans are featured floating on the water very, very gracefully. The 49's fine silver coin has a limited release of just 25,000 coins, while the 49's fine gold version has a very low mintage of only 5,000. Now through May 8th, Heritage Auctions is having their proof like and deep mirror proof like Morgan Dollars and Vams special monthly auction. Bid online now or their live auction on May 8th. Check out some of their offerings, they have some gorgeous coins on there. PCGS has announced that they have certified the ultra-rare 1933 St. Gaudens Double Eagle Gold Coin. Sotheby's will be offering this coin for sale in their New York auction on June 8, 2021. This is the coin that was once owned by King Farouk of Egypt. It has been graded MS65. Its current owner, Stuart Weitzman, is offering it for sale with some other rarities alongside the 33 St. Gaudens Double Eagle. Last reminder for all of you near the Las Vegas area, the PCGS Members Only Show will be taking place at the Bellagio Hotel and Casino on April 23rd. Stop in and check it out. Tonight, I'm enjoying an Evolution Craft Brewing Company, lot number 6, double IPA. It is a beer with tropical fruit and citrus notes with massive additions of American Varietal Hops. It is a very hoppy beer if you're into that sort of thing. I absolutely love it. It is brewed in Salisbury, Maryland. Check them out on the web at www.evolutioncraftbrewing.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the same name. This was the first time I ever cracked one of their beers open, and I was immensely surprised at how great it was. Remember, folks, drink responsibly and only over the age of 21. So you've probably heard the phrase, buy the book before the coin. Well, this is especially true if you're a new collector. The one I hear mostly recommended on the coin sites that I follow is for beginners to buy the Red Book. What's the Red Book, you say? Well, it's a book by Whitman Publishing. It's actually called the Official Red Book, a guidebook of United States coins. It has photographs, important information for new and seasoned collectors alike, updated pricing, which we'll get into shortly, the latest mint data, auction records, and a ton more information. The 2022 75th Anniversary Edition has a full 464 pages, 2,000 plus images, more than 7,600 listings, along with 32,000 coin prices as described on Whitman's webpage. As a beginner, you'll find valuable information in this publication that you can look over and see for yourself what years are more valuable than other, what things to look for in certain coin denominations. I'll reiterate, this is a good place to start and use this as a gateway to dive further into areas of the hobby that might interest you from the articles you find in here, curiosity on prices or mintages, or from something as simple as finding a photo of a coin series you enjoy and starting your collection with that. The pricing in these books is often bashed in the coin world for not being correct, being on the higher side, and some people feel that it just isn't correct no matter how you look at it. Well, here's the story. If you're new, it gives you a good place to start. The price you see in the red book isn't anywhere near what a dealer would offer to buy a coin from you for, but again, if you don't know much about coins, it's a place to start. It's all about the research. Check the price in the red book, look online at a couple of places, and judge for yourself. Obviously, anything that is measured in silver melt value won't be accurate as the prices in the book cannot reflect the constant change of the bullion market. If you're starting to get interested in error coins, they have listed the most popular errors in the denominations throughout the book. It also has very important definitions as well that will be invaluable for new people to learn in the hobby. Now wait, there's more. More you say, Tony, I can't take it. (laughs) They also have the official blue book. Blue, red, you're confused. Well, don't be. Here's the lowdown on the blue book. The blue book has much of the same information in as the red book, however, the prices listed are supposed to be what a dealer will pay you for the coin. Again, it more than likely won't happen. Most dealers use gray sheep prices. I use the blue book as a very quick reference with me at the coin club while our auction is going on. The prices are good for buying and selling between friends or club members, but again, it's best to do your research in many different venues, and at the end of the day, use your best judgment. Hunting for that sweet spot on the price is part of the fun of collecting, and it shouldn't run your life if you're a collector, but it should guide you to make good decisions. You don't want to be that guy who pays double the value of a coin because you don't know what you're doing. Go ahead and insert your favorite TV coin buying smart remark here. We all see them. We know who they are. I like both the red and the blue books, and I buy one of each every couple years. They have their benefits, and it should be something in your collection. A very good starting point for new collectors, as well as seasoned collectors. Continuing with this theme of pricing, let's move on to where do you buy and sell your coins? This question probably would have had a much different answer pre-pandemic when a lot of us would venture out frequently to coin shows, brick-and-mortar stores, and any other place you might think of that would involve in-person contact. My main points for purchasing coins and such pre-pandemic was coin shows and my local coin club auction. That was enough to keep me busy with adding and upgrading what I have. It was nice to get out and talk to people, learn new things, and try to strike up a deal. Finding bargains is also a lot of fun in person. When you hear people say that they are out there to be had, they truly are. What I search for may not be what you search for, and from speaking to dealers at shows, They really don't have the time to hunt for everything that you may be looking for. There is a good chance to find bargains and cherry picks everywhere you look. My local coin club auction was always a great place to buy coins also. We had reasonable starting prices and every now and then you'd get something hot that would actually create a bidding war. But for the most part, prices remained reasonable. Oh, I forgot to mention auctions also. I would check the listings for local auctions to see if there were any coins in them. These were always fun to go to. I remember hitting up a couple auctions with my parents and grandparents when I was a kid. I really enjoyed them back then, and besides looking for whatever caught my eye, I now have a renewed interest in finding anything numismatic at auctions. I also like to check out the auctions for other items, but coins and paper money are my main attractions. Deals can be had there as well, but just be aware of what you're bidding on and how much it should go for. You will get relatives of the owner who will pay absorbent amounts of money to get something back that was not left to them in a will. They want to keep it in the family and are willing to pay whatever they need to get it. Some people think they know what something should go for and will bid it up, and then you also have those people who have no clue and just like to get into a bidding war. Auctions are fun, and you just need to go into one with the knowledge of what you will pay for something beforehand. In regards to selling... I like to sell on eBay, USA Coinbook, and a little on Instagram and Facebook. They each have their benefits, and I'll go over a few here. So when you have something that is very unique and would have a small and limited audience, the best place that I can think of is to sell this on eBay. eBay has the largest audience hand down for numismatic items that I can think of. So your very unique item now has an audience that will be looking for it. The only downside to selling on eBay is the fees. For a seller, the 10% that they charge you to sell on top of the cost to receive the money from whatever platform you're using makes it very difficult to turn a profit at times, especially on lower end items. Again, I keep this platform for selling unique items. Instagram is good to sell on if you have a following. It's different in that you have to build the audience around whatever you're selling. I have a decent following on Instagram, and I put up a few things from time to time for sale there. Right now, I have some numismatic books and Notophilus books up for sale, but I try to keep just informative posts on that platform. I think we're up around 1,800 followers. Go check me out over there, the 7 House Coins Currency Bullion. Facebook has groups to sell coins, paper money, errors, and bullion. This is different than Instagram, as the audience is already there. You join the group of your choice and have whatever you're selling pre-approved, and then the listing goes up to the captive audience. No fees other than the fee it costs to accept the payment and taxes at the end of the year, obviously. The last one I mentioned, but certainly not the least, is USA Coinbook. These guys are great for buyers and sellers. The selection is very good, and the prices are just as good as well. The reason being that because USA Coinbook only charges 2% of the cost of the sale of the coin. Not with the shipping included, that's the sale price of the coin. It's very seller friendly and you get more of a professional feel with the dealers selling over there. Go check them out, I really like them. You find a better selection of low end items there as well due to the low cost to sell. It makes it easier to sell things you might only be able to get roll hunting or find at shows in their junk piles. Mostly, I'm referring to hole fillers for your albums. I can list these over on USA Coinbook and still make a little on them, whereas if you would put them on eBay, number one, they're not going to sell at the price you need to list them at, and number two, if you list them where they should be, you'll end up losing money. With the ongoing pandemic, buying and selling has largely moved to online platforms only. The few shows that I've heard of that have been happening are getting good reports as far as attendance and sales reports from the dealers. What shows are you looking forward to when we can all get back out and spend some of that moldy money we have been putting aside for our collections? Let me know by visiting my website and sending me an email at 7 at gmail.com or go over to Instagram or Facebook and send me a direct message over there. As promised, in a thank you to my new Canadian listeners, we'll get into a little history on the monetary system in your great country. As with many other countries and regions of the time, the indigenous people located in Canada used furs, precious metals, items made of copper, and many other goods to form what we refer to now as an early monetary system used when bordering and trading. In 1685, New France issued what is best described as playing cards that were signed by the governor and cut at a specific dimension. They had their value labeled on the card and were backed by the colonial government. These were much needed as there was a shortage of French and Spanish silver coins in the region. When the government wanted to pay for the Seven Years' War, they printed enormous amounts of paper money, which led to inflation and an overall bad time with the government not being able to back everything up. Something that still happens all over the world today. After the Seven Years' War ended and the conquest of the British Army officially claimed ownership, they introduced the pound. Pounds, shillings, and pence were the official circulating currency and what was still in circulation of Spanish dollars and banknotes. They were rated to be the equivalent of the British counterparts. A Spanish dollar was rated at five shillings. The British currency was not very popular in the beginning, and there were a number of different monies that still circulated in the 1800s. They included the American gold coins, army bills, Spanish dollars, American dollars, and Nova Scotia money. All were in the mix. British money was rejected eventually, and in eighteen fifty eight a law was passed that said the Province of Canada governments, which now is Ontario and Quebec, used the dollar instead of the pound. During this same time, the government started to issue its own money. Banks around Canada also had their own currency at this time also, sort of like what you see in old paper money here in the United States. Our two monetary systems, the United States and Canada, have always mirrored each other. Some notable differences occurred along the way, but the monetary systems usually run parallel. The United States dollar and the Canadian dollar fluctuate in value over the years, and at times one being higher than the other. Today, a Canadian dollar is equal to roughly 80 cents of the United States dollar. The first Canadian dime was seen in circulation in the year 1858, and the first quarter in 1870. The first official coin minted by the Ottawa branch of Britain's Royal Mint was struck on January 2, 1908. With an audience of dignitaries, the Governor General Earl Grey fired up the press and struck the first official coin, a 50-cent piece. The end of the ceremony was marked with the striking of the first bronze cent as well. In 1911, the first official refinery was built, which had the difficult job of refining rough gold brought in from the Yukon and British Columbia into coinage standards. This refinery rendered gold to be used by the British government to fund its wars and pay off its debts. Running under the official royal mint of Britain's power, Canadians struck coins up to 1931, and at that time, the reins were turned over wholly to Canada, making it an official Canadian institution. In 1936, a new refining facility was built, and it was built to facilitate the demands for years to come. It refines gold for mines and central banks from around the world. It is still in operation today. It produces four nines-fine gold bars since 1969. In 1982, it holds the title for being the first refinery to produce four nines-fine gold coins, and it holds yet another purity record on top of that. In 1999, it was the first mint to be able to achieve a purity of five nines fine gold production. Some very notable and proud achievements from the Canadian refiners. In 2007, our friends to the north made the Guinness Book of World Records by producing the largest coin in the world. It is a 100 kilogram, 99.999% fine, pure $1 million gold bullion coin. They held this title up until 2012 when they were unseated by the Perth Mint with their one-ton kangaroo gold coin. Official date releases for coinage is as follows. 1920 saw the introduction of the penny. The nickel came around in 1922 and the first loonies came about in 1987 which replaced the dollar bill. This was followed by the toonie in 1996. For you notophilist out there. The $1 bill was introduced in 1858, the $2, $50, $500, and $1,000 notes in 1887. 1934 saw the introduction of the $20 bill. In 2011, Canada introduced their polymer notes and abolished the penny in 2013. The Royal Canadian Mint produces circulating coinage for the country and is considered a high-tech world leader in the minting industry. They hold many patents and industry-firsts. They have a patented cost-saving plated coin technology, patented locking mechanism for the high-security biometallic coins they produce, and they have patents pending for colored coin tech, hologram tech, and silver and gold refining processes, not to mention the other accomplishments we've spoken about above. The Royal Mint has two facilities where they produce coins, the Ottawa Mint and the Winnipeg Facility. The Ottawa Mint was the sole producer of Canadian coinage up until 1976 when the official opening of the Winnipeg facility was brought online. The Winnipeg facility was badly needed as the old Ottawa facility couldn't keep up. The United States Philadelphia Mint aided our friends in coin production over the years with the 10 cents being produced there in the 60s. Over 1 billion circulation coins are minted every year at the Royal Canadian Mint, not to mention all of the collector coins and sets they mint as well. I haven't had the opportunity to go to any of the mint facilities in Canada, but what I do remember that struck me funny is that their coins were available for sale in the post office. I was walking through Old Quebec City and saw them in a window. I don't know why, but it just caught me as something that we should be doing here in the United States. It's a really cool idea. I would really like to give a special shout-out to my friends up north, and I hope I've done your mint justice with this descriptive background. Thank you all for listening, and please spread the word. I can't wait to visit you as soon as I can. What the heck were you thinking? <laughs> well, this week, I'll give you a what-were-you-thinking-from-my-story. As collectors, I'm sure we can all look back at things we collected early on and say to ourselves, what were you thinking? I like to go through Lincoln cents from the bank. It doesn't cost that much, and if you find something, it's not going to hurt the wallet to keep a few back and turn the rest back in. If you're a collector on a budget like I am, I think cents are the way to go. Well, with that said, I would consider myself a hoarder of Lincoln cents rather than anything else. Especially now when I look back at what I've pulled out of circulation. The longer I'm in this hobby, the more I value condition over mass accumulation. If you are the other way around, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. However, I'm trending in the other direction. When I first started to get back in the hobby, I was watching one of those attention-grabbing YouTube videos that I would probably now never even consider watching. And I heard about the 2015P Double die Lincoln cent that could bring you so much money if you found one in good condition. Now let me tell you, there's something to say for some of these YouTubers who grab the attention of new collectors and get them into the hobby. However, the seasoned collectors always need to be there, willing and patiently waiting to give advice and keep them in the hobby when they realize that the truth was stretched a little bit. It's clickbait, it really is, and again, it has its time and its place. Well, back to the 2015 Double die. I added this to my list of coins to search for, and at the time, the 2015s were plentiful, so I pulled out every one that I found and wrapped them up for a rainy day when I would search for this error later on. Nice, shiny 2015 P's. Two whole boxes of them. Two whole boxes waiting for me to go through and search for that double die that I was so excited about at the time. Well, let me tell you something. Looking through an entire box of the same data coins that are shiny BU examples will wreck your eyes and try your patience. I think I'm halfway through the first box and it's been slow going. I'm not that great at searching for double dies to begin with, so the fun is just amplified by the nth degree there. Some of you might find searching scents boring, others not so much, but an entire dated box is very tiring, at least for me. If I had any advice to offer, is go slower in the beginning when you're initially searching for sense and stop and look at each of the dates as you're going through the rolls. If it's a date you know you want to check out further, put it under the loop or your microscope and do it then. Don't hoard them until you have a whole box. The different selection of dates you find roll hunting keeps my interest rather than having a solid date the whole way through. That's just me, and that's this week's What Were You Thinking? Well, folks, I'm glad we got to dive into the things we did on this episode of the Coin Club podcast. There was lots of exciting news, and I hope you were able to go out and add a red and blue Whitman book to your collection. And lastly, a huge thank you to all my new Canadian subscribers. I really enjoyed having you with me, and I hope to have you along with me on the next episode of the Coin Club Podcast. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Coin Club Podcast. I had a great time with you and look forward to sharing with you on the next episode. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting me on Patreon at the Coin Club Podcast. Please follow me on social media. facebook at the seven house coins currency bullion and also on instagram at the same name you can also go to my website sevenhouseccb.com and give me some feedback on this episode or some suggestions on what you would like to see in future episodes as always i'm grateful to all of you for your support and look forward to seeing you the next time on the coin club podcast